0: It's quite easy to be sceptical about ghost sightings, sightings that are paranormal or supernatural. Today, we're discussing the evidence for what they are and examine the bigger picture of what's really going on.
1: Welcome to Science of the Times Radio.
0: Hey again, everyone. It's Daniel Kubera here from Signs of the Times Radio. It's good to have you joining me today. And joining me as well over Zoom is my boss, the editor of Signs of the Times magazine. His name is Jared Stackelroth. Jared, how are you doing? Doing well, Daniel. Thanks for having me on today. Now, Jared, we've got a, a pretty meaty topic that we're going to be discussing. It's on the topic of our Spiritual Forces Real? Now, if you don't mind me sharing, because you know you and I are both from Adelaide, right? And we we actually both went to the same university, in fact the same campus, because you studied at, at the McGill campus there in Adelaide, didn't you?
1: I did, UniSA.
0: That's right. Now, Jared, you know most people who are listening to this probably will not have gone to that campus, but I'll cast your mind back. You might remember that on that campus there's this old house. I think it was called McGill House you know, when you get off the bus or whatever, and you go to go to your classes, you walk past this really old looking house that's on the campus. Now, when I was studying documentary filmmaking at UniSA, they got us into groups and told us to go make a 10 minute documentary. And this group of friends that I had actually went and they heard some, you know, urban myths or whatever that this house was actually haunted. So they started going and interviewing people in the community. They interviewed one of the lecturers <laughs> that we had there as well, and I had no idea. But it turns out that a whole bunch of people had, I guess, this one lady would go for a run past McGill House every morning, and she'd see this small girl in like a um, like a really old white dress, like old as in olden old school white dress. She'd see her in the window, like waving to her as she ran past, and hmm. she eventually she would see this girl like every time she was going for a run to the point where she went to the UniSA security team and she said, you know, this girl keeps waving to me as I run past this house. And they said, nobody lives there. It's empty. And so my friends who were making this documentary, you know, they did all this crazy stuff. They got like a clairvoyant in at nighttime to try and, you know, detect if there are ghosts in this uh, house. And, you know, there wasn't any conclusive evidence either way. I think one of the clairvoyants actually, she heard... a a child like crying or something when they went inside this house at nighttime with their cameras all turned on. But that sort of thing is, you know, obviously, the conclusion they had from that documentary was, oh, you know, we're we're not really sure either way. But it certainly has captured the imagination, these sort of ghost stories, hasn't it? Like, I mean, we all hear ghost stories, might be something we hear, you know, share around a campfire. What is it about ghost stories that really piques people's interest, you reckon?
1: That's a great question. And I hadn't actually heard about this sort of haunted house on the campus. Uh, I was only there for a year. So I, I, but I do think I remember the house that you're talking about. Yeah. MacRindle's survey recently conducted in Australia showed that almost half of people claim to believe in ghosts. So 48% of us. And it's interesting because I guess culture, pop culture, has really picked this up with shows like Supernatural and movies and books really honing in on this sort of supernatural phenomenon. And, and people, there's some thrill, I suppose, in, in being scared or, or, or thinking through scary stories, telling ghost stories you mentioned around the campfire, sort of some people, I've never really been into it, but some people get a thrill from feeling scared or freaked out about these strange examples. About these strange phenomenon, you asked me sort of why I think that is. I think, look, I did a little bit of work for this story that I've written for the August issue of Science, where I was researching sort of this phenomenon. And coming out of that, I think in brief, one thing I could say is that people people don't like the idea of death. Mm-hmm. They like to think that there's something else. There's something outside of the world. There's something beyond the life that they know because it means in some ways it's a comfort to them to think that their relatives are in a better place, in another place, to think that whatever happens to them in this life, that it's perhaps not the end. When we look at malicious ghosts or spirits, it's a little harder to then link that there and and understand why people would be Keen to 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 believe in that or to under, have those understandings because it's not as comforting. It's sort of scary. It's it's a thought that you know might be frightening to some people, and so it's a little harder to understand that. But yeah, there's this there's this idea that the supernatural is to to comfort us, but also to maybe protect us against our worse uh, the worst parts of our nature.
0: Would you say that's the definition of the supernatural? Because, I mean, the natural is what we see and what we observe, what we can feel and what we can touch. But the supernatural ghosts and stuff fall into that category, are things we just don't or can't understand as far as science goes?
1: Yeah, that's how I've uh, defined it in my article. The supernatural is outside of the natural. When we look at Superman, you know, he's a human or a man who is Above and beyond anything that humans can attain, and, and in in the sense of supernatural, it can't be necessarily examined or or studied because it's outside of natural phenomenon.
0: Mm. Generally, when there are these supernatural sightings, I don't know what you'd consider a supernatural sighting, whether it be you know a UFO flying through space or a ghost sighting. Like for example, I remember quite a few years ago on the news there was the sighting that was caught on camera of, I think it was Adelaide Mall. It was like one of those uh, arcades off of Adelaide Mall that actually caught on CCTV camera, this like wispy white figure walking through, you know, the arcade at nighttime when everything was already closed up. And then obviously you have people who believe in the supernatural saying that, yes, it's a ghost or whatever. It's a ghost of someone who used to work there like a hundred years ago or something but then you also have people who are like well it 's actually light reflecting off of this mirror off of this window and into here, and that 's why the camera has picked up this it 's always tricky to explain these things from a scientific point of view isn 't it but yet, I guess the question is what have you found to be some of the the explanations for supernatural phenomena that people have experienced what What are the general things? that people have been saying about such experiences. A lot of it seems to be from your research to come down to psychology. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, wherever there's an experience that someone can't explain and that someone wants to attribute to the supernatural, uh, someone else is ready to stand up, put their hand up and say, well, here's why I think, here's a theory as to why this is a completely natural or replicable sort of phenomena this is why it's it's not supernatural in terms of the supernatural though because so many people believe in it people are just as keen to understand it or to try and describe it or explain it and so you've got a whole field of cognitive psychology psychology being sort of understanding how the human brain works how we think where we have developed ideas and instinct and, and, and behaviors, human behaviors from this whole realm of, of cognitive psychology is trying to explain, well, why do so many people believe in, in the supernatural? I mean, if you think about it throughout history, human history, more people than not have believed in some form of, of spiritual realm, some form of religion, some form of, God and God's, you know, ghosts and spirits, it's an overwhelming majority. And so, I guess the the idea of not believing in that stuff, trying to have a purely rational explanation for absolutely everything is a fairly recent phenomenon, at least it seems to be in our society. So, I guess the psychologists that are asking some of these questions Jesse Bering in an American scientist article asked this question. He said, what is it about the human mind that leads so many members of our species across cultures, geographic distances, to hold such an unshakable, sober, and highly personal belief in an invisible, all-powerful being whom Westerners call God? This is the big question that Jesse um, was asking there. And, you know, he and others – have linked this idea to the theory of mind, the idea that, you know, as humans, we have this this understanding of how we reason and how we uh, process and think through things. His theory is that we like to attribute that same reasoning, that same ability to pull meaning out of the world to non-living entities, so animals, rocks and trees, gods, you know, outside spirits, things that that are different, or, you know, people who have died, we like to think about them as still having some of that rational ability, some of that mind, uh, a living mind. And, you know, if that's the case, if humans are reading those patterns into things, you know, if you've lost someone who's dear to you, you want to connect with them, you want to see that, that. That connection continued. You know, we hear of sports players who have lost someone and it's the driving motivation for their performance. They're doing it for that person and they think, oh, they say, I I know that person's looking down on me. They're proud of me. They're, They're there because they want to feel that connection. They want to feel like this person's still with them. And it seems to be something common that at least these psychologists are trying to figure out. Why do all humans have that sense of connection?
0: It sounds like they're chalking it down to, well, if someone has an experience where they believe that it was a spiritual force reaching out to them, that the psychological reason is confirmation bias because they want that to be the case. So, for example, if someone passes away and then strange activity starts happening in the room where that person once lived or something, then that must clearly be them but it's what psychology would then explain that as is that we want that to be the case and therefore we
1: believe that to be the case. That's certainly a big a big part of, of their findings and they've done some experiments along these lines, you know, they've told children stories, you know, children I guess before the age of they've been influenced too much to sort of understand culture as it is but just to be, you know, fresh and raw in their approach and they've done a puppet show and then they've asked them what the the puppets would be experiencing or feeling if they after they've died would they be hungry would they be thirsty and it seems that we attribute sort of we are clear cut in what the physical things are so the, the dead puppet isn't going to be hungry but it is going to miss its mother you know the more higher level thoughts and feelings and so there's that level of it but then I guess beyond that, they're trying to go, well, why have we developed some of these connections? And they're suggesting that it's a function of evolution. They say that it's to keep us accountable. If we think about something watching over us, something outside of the natural, it will make us behave in the right way. The way that is good for our society and our family and our tribe, the things, the people around us, that sort of beliefs helps to protect us.
0: Mm.
1: Now, it's a little bit of a flimsy argument because some of the things, you know, that evolution puts forward as being, you know, survival of the fittest, the best thing for your tribe or your, you know, we have these morals and these universal moralities developing that are a little bit, it's not necessarily what's best evolutionarily. It's just, the right thing to do. And so it doesn't always line up. And so it's still hard for them to explain, but certainly they they did an experiment. One experiment I'm thinking of they did with students and they asked them to do this computer test and the test group, they just got them to do it. They said, there's a glitch in the system. So you're gonna see the right answer, but we want you to delete the right answer off the screen and go about and do the tests properly. The control group had no extra information. The second group had the idea that they were doing it in, in memoriam of this student who died during during the test or, or an earlier test subject had died and that it was in memory of that, that person. And the final group were told that story was embellished, that there was a ghost in the room or as part of, of this test and that that ghost would be watching over them basically and that group was the group that got rid of the right answers the quickest they did the right thing (laughs) they didn't want to be (laughs) doing the wrong thing in the presence of this this supernatural supposed supernatural power and so it was interesting from the results of that study they said well look this shows that people if they know that there's some power or even if they're thinking of of someone who's died or, or, or this memory because the second group also had quicker results than the group who had no accountability, no ghost story. They were just the normal control group. Their reactions were the slowest because they had a quick look at the answer before they hit the space bar and got off the screen. They, they were more willing to play with the edges of, of morality and allow that that, that time to lengthen before they would react. And so, from studies like that, these psychologists are saying, yeah, this this idea, this belief in the supernatural actually gives us a moral compass. As humans, it gives us good morals.
0: Mm. Which is interesting because you quote Jordan Peterson. My housemate is actually a massive Jordan Peterson fan. So, when I read this, I was like, <laughs> just instantly thought of him. But you quote him as saying that casual critics of religion don't take phenomena seriously. Don't take the phenomena, like the supernatural phenomena seriously, and it's a serious phenomenon. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, a few months ago, I was interviewing Dr. Sven Erstring on Science Radio, and we're talking about where did the universe come from? And he said, part of the reason why God isn't factored into a scientific explanation for the creation of the universe is because science rejects the theory of the supernatural. That's where it comes from. Like, it's it's something Mm. that they don't believe they can test, therefore it's not something that can be scientifically proven. Now, I guess the question is then, if we want to entertain the idea that the supernatural is in fact real, you know, obviously we've been talking about supernatural forces as far as what appear to be ghosts and stuff roaming around the earth. The concept of God is supernatural because God isn't something that we can see with our eyes and yet we see or feel the way he influences our lives. I guess the question Mm -hmm. is, what What power do supernatural forces have? What power does God have? Is it just appearing to people in random places? Where are the limitations of this? Are there any limitations?
1: That's a great question and and yeah Jordan Peterson is a cognitive psychologist, that's his background, and he he says that you can stimulate some of the reactions, you can um take drugs, you can do different brain stimulation to. To create the same feelings, the euphoric sort of feelings that someone might feel, when, which come along with supernatural belief in the supernatural, supernatural experiences. And so that's why these psychologists, they're, they're keen to test these phenomenon because there are some elements of it that you can test. But the thing is, there's two different ways to then examine that evidence. There's the idea that, okay, you're testing um, the results, the symptoms of that, or that everyone has those because there is something outside of that that, that is supernatural. And, yeah, anything that science can test, we would have to define as natural. It, it, it comes back across into the natural realm because the supernatural, by definition, is outside of science. It's outside of, of the natural I'll put a disclaimer here. I believe in God. I am a Christian and have been brought up that way, have chosen as an adult to continue in those beliefs. And I do believe that the supernatural, there are things outside of the natural realm that we can't explain, that we can't understand. And God fits into that. God is is bigger than we can understand. God is outside of time. He's outside of space. He's outside of our sometimes human experience. The thing about the Christian God, the God that I believe in, is that we have this idea of Jesus and, and the concept of God becoming a man and coming down to this earth and living amongst us and experiencing the life that we live and and dying for us. And that means that God has put himself into time and space. He has become Oh, he's influenced the natural world. He's gone into the natural world, and to me, that's comforting because it's a point of connection that I can make when I look at the life of Jesus and I understand Jesus. It gives me, it gives me hope. It gives me comfort. It gives me guidance and and morals and 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 Jesus is the supernatural becoming the natural, crossing that that boundary, that border. The thing with with belief, though, is that there's two sets of interpretations for those same experiences. You know, we can claim to test the supernatural, I suppose, and and we talk about this looking through history, looking through the Bible, some of the predictions or prophecies that were made in the Bible. You know, when things were prophesied that happened hundreds of years later, you could say that that is one test of the supernatural. How did something or someone know about that that occurrence when it hadn't happened yet. And, and you know, there's modern-day people who claim to be prophets, and they often give very vague or poetic sort of statements that could be interpreted any which way, and that you might say, oh, well, that did sort of come true. But there were some very, very specific prophecies in the Bible about kingdoms that would rise and, and kings and civilizations that would do certain things that Came true that that actually happens that's one way to i suppose test the supernatural because the messengers of god the angels the supernatural beings gave humanity that information and you saw it play out in the future so that's one way you can perhaps understand or, or, or do that the other one as you've mentioned is personal experience what one person may explain away as a natural phenomenon for you it may really make an impact or change your life now we can't necessarily say that, well, I experienced this this way, and so then it's true, because the <laughs> that, that means we could have all sorts of people believing all sorts of things, and and, and it's a little less reliable, I guess. It's a little less hard, hard to define. But certainly, myself and, and many other people around the world would have claimed to have found comfort in the words of the Bible, to found life direction, and to feel some kind of supernatural presence, some kind of experience where God has actually spoken to or we've seen or he's helped us in some way, he's given us an answer to something that we've wrestled with and we feel we experience that. Yes, it's hard to test, it's hard to scientifically prove, but I don't think it's any less real because of that as as, as we experience it as humans. And so I guess there are ways that we can see this, this supernatural Overlapping the natural realm. We, we experience it. We see the Bible's, the flow through history and, and some of the things the Bible predicted that have come true. And also, I guess the Bible itself is a collection of different books from different authors across centuries. But to have all the hyperlinks, what, um, scholars call hyperlinks, all the places where the Bible lines up, it's, it's not something as a writer myself. It's very hard to, to make something line up in such a way that, that connects so well with someone else's work and yet the Bible some, somehow has this continuous thread, these continuous themes that thread throughout its 66 books and just it appears to be greater. It has to be greater than just some random collection of ancient Hebrew literature.
0: Right. Well, it's an interesting explanation there that you, you're, you're giving us about the patterns that cannot be, you know, just confirmation bias that happen throughout the Bible and happen in our lives indeed. Now, just one I want to mention and pull you up on is that you mentioned that Jesus was supernatural becoming natural as far as when he was on earth. Now, the question then is, why did that have to happen? And I guess from a biblical perspective is it all sort of started out with a a conflict that happened in heaven, right? Can you just tell us a little bit more about what actually happened in heaven that started all of this?
1: Yeah, right. So, I guess the Christian concept and, and Christians have different ways of understanding Christ and what Jesus Christ meant when He came, but it's fairly common to to, to believe that He came to die for us. That's the sort of common perception, this substitutionary um, sacrifice. But, you know, as an Adventist, we have this understanding that there's been this this conflict of good versus evil of God, the most high versus fallen angels, Lucifer Satan people might know him as, and this this tempter this accuser who is satan and and that when the world when Adam and Eve chose to give up their authority, their God-given place as rulers, sort of um, stewards of this planet, planet Earth. When they did that, it would have been very easy for God to click his fingers and start again, Mm. recreate. But that would be the move of a tyrant. That would be the move of someone who's like a dictator who anytime anyone disagrees with them, any bad characters that you just want to get rid of you just get rid of them Mm. but we're fearful of people like that we're fearful of people who are all powerful and there is no limit to what they will do to achieve their ends and this is from what we see in the bible and and from a, a famous book called the great controversy where ellen white outlines some of these concepts and and ties the threads in the bible through talks about this idea that God's character is on display. God in in John, the Gospel of John and also in John's letters to the the early church, he really emphasises this theme, God is love. But if God is acting to push humans to act in a certain way, his creation, if he's acting to enforce his will, upon the angels if he's acting like a tyrant if he's just giving no one any choice and he's doing whatever he wants that is a character we should be fearful of that that is not love that's not how love acts that's abusive it's manipulative you know we have words and we have conceptions in counseling of people who act like narcissists and have you know treat others however they want and 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 they're the center of everything so, this is the, the lie that it would be very easy to tell about God if God were to just step in and end all evil, to destroy anyone who disagreed with him, any evil, any bad things that happened. And that argument could be used, and, and then people would serve or worship or follow God out of fear. Now, God instead chose a different path, probably not a path I would have chosen, I'm thankful I'm not God because (laughs) it's out of the box. It's a different sort of thinking. It's to highlight his love. And the the idea of this great controversy or conflict, cosmic conflict, people call it, the idea that there's these warring spiritual forces, supernatural forces or forces outside of what we can see. These forces are, are at war and humans in some ways are caught in the middle of this universal conflict. And the conflict is over God's character, Satan, on the one hand, is saying that God is an evil tyrant. He is not to be trusted. He just wants you to do his own thing, to to do his will and to, to worship him because he will force you to do that. And God is saying, no, I love you. I created you to be in relationship with you. I am a God of relationships and I am a God of love. And Jesus came, I guess, to demonstrate that way. And rather than holding on to his Godship, being God. He came, humbled himself, the Bible says in Philippians. He he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, to be held onto, but he lowered himself, becoming humble, becoming a servant, even a slave, and serving his fellow humans, his fellow um, disciples. And in those acts of service, in his death and destruction by the evil the evil forces, the evil supernatural powers that were running the show, that were trying to destroy him, he actually went through death and was raised to life. And in that conquering of death, he conquered death, he also proved God's character. He also showed that God God is just. He brings justice. He does. He will destroy evil and he will bring about justice for those who haven't been, haven't received it. You know, those who um, abuse and manipulate others, those who destroy the world that we live in, those who destroy the lives of children, you know, all these terrible people, God will bring justice about, but we don't always see it in our timing. But Jesus, I guess, comes to prove that on the overall arc of history, the human experience, that God is stepping into that flow of time and he is willing to to be loved, to serve humanity, and to show that the character of God is above reproach. There is justice and there is love at the centre of the universe.
0: Okay. I do want to focus in on that one thing that you mentioned, though, about where this all started. You mentioned Lucifer and the fallen angels. Now, Mm -hmm. fallen angels, like, what actually happened for the angels to fall? Was there some sort of disagreement between Lucifer and God?
1: Yeah, one of the texts in the Bible says that there was war in heaven. Michael and the ar- the archangel and, and, and his angels fought with the dragon or the serpent and, and his angels, and he was cast down to earth. He was cast out of heaven. And I guess that, that concept of these fallen beings, these supernatural or spiritual beings being bound uh, to this earth. And so, the start of that, according to I think it's the prophet Isaiah who describes this being who wanted to raise himself up as the Most High. So this this person who was a supernatural being who wanted to be like God and set himself up and set his throne up to be next to God's and to be worshipped like God. And so it seems like that was the the beginning of this conflict, personal pride of a being known as Lucifer or as Satan. who who wanted to set himself up in God's place, basically to overthrow God, a a heavenly coup, if you will. And so he wanted to do that, and there were those that followed him. There were those that said, you're right, you've got some good points. God is that tyrant, or they believed Lucifer's lies about God. And so they were overthrown and thrown out of heaven and bound to this earth. And so there is an understanding in Christian the Christian worldview that there are supernatural forces that aren't necessarily friendly to humans. <laughs> they are here and potentially posing as ghosts or spirits of loved ones who have have departed. You know, in our Adventist understanding, we believe that when you're dead, the dead know nothing. There's a verse in the Bible, there's a number of verses that sort of point to this idea that death is like a sleep. Jesus said, When his friend Lazarus died, he's just asleep. And the disciples said, oh, well, that's good. He's resting. He'll heal up. And Jesus said, no, no, he's dead, but I'm going to wake him up. And Jesus calls him out of of death. And so this idea that the dead know nothing means that anything that is posing as something that is dead, that is no longer alive, even if it seems familiar to us may not be our loved one. It quite possibly could be one of these fallen supernatural beings pretending or deceiving us and and trying to trick us into thinking that we're seeing something that we're not.
0: But the question is then that if it's true that if we see a ghost, it's not actually that person that we're seeing, like there's, you know, manifestation in front of us, even though they've passed away, it's actually a fallen angel or what you would call a demon what are they achieving by taking on that form?
1: I think there's a verse in the Bible that says, "Even the elect will be deceived. Even those who have have good knowledge will be deceived." And I guess if you don't understand that some of these fallen angel beings are not really your loved ones, I mean, you could they could get you to do any number of things. Your your loved one could come back and suggest things to you that you'd be willing to do that you wouldn't be willing to do if if it was just someone like you know i'm talking to you now if i said to do something you probably wouldn't necessarily listen but if i was someone who you loved who you respected who you wished to be with who had passed away you might consider doing what i'm suggesting to do because i have some knowledge outside of the the natural i have some perhaps foresight on the what people call the other side and and so there's an element of of deception of of getting like motivation, what the motivation of, of people would do. It's interesting, and this is just speculation. So, I, you know, I don't have um, all the answers in this space. But, I mean, imagine as the world gets, you mentioned before UFOs and aliens as a supernatural perhaps manifestation. If the world's getting more and more interested in supernatural things by the movies we watch and the the shows that we consume, if we're if we're thinking about aliens and stuff, we can have manifestations of powers that we believe in that look amazing. You know, the Bible says that the devil sometimes masquerades as an angel of the light, that in the time of the end, Jesus says, in the time of the end, there will be false messiahs and people coming and saying, hey, there's someone out in the desert, go out to him there and he's doing miracles and he's doing amazing things. And so, there might be supernatural powers, there might be supernatural entities encouraging you to do something or even doing great signs and wonders that everyone wants to, to be amazed by. You know, later in this month, we've got a, a story with a, someone who, who used to be a clairvoyant and claimed to hear messages from the spirits, and sometimes those messages were spot on. They, they came true. And so when you're influenced by what you see to be truth and what appears very much like a supernatural phenomenon, an amazing thing, Uh, You become susceptible to listening to ideas that aren't necessarily good for you or your spiritual health. Uh, You might take actions that aren't what you would normally do or aren't logical or rational. You may even find yourself possessed. You know, the idea that a, a devil or a spirit can come into you, it's not really that popular in Western society, Western thought, Western culture. But I know many people from Africa, from the Pacific Islands who have experienced, witnessed firsthand this sort of possession, this sort of strength that seems otherworldly sort of voices and, and entities that know things that nobody's ever told this person, you know, coming out out and, and speaking out from these people. And so, you know, it's scary sort of stuff and, and people will be more susceptible to it if they don't have a good, solid Bible-based understanding of of what God is doing and what the enemy is trying to do. The Bible is very clear that the enemies of God are trying to kill, to steal and to deceive and to destroy people. They they hate us as humans um, as the object of God's affection. God loves us very much and He's willing to do a lot for us and the other side is jealous of that. They're, they're trying to destroy and to deceive and, and so that's why I think a good biblical worldview helps us to be protected from some of those dangers.
0: I guess the question is then, Jared, how can one take on this protection? How can one seek out God? If I mean, if it's true that there are these malevolent forces that are out to deceive us, that don't have our best intentions in mind, then how can we call on God's help? What can we do to, to have God's protection?
1: Great question, Daniel. I think it's really important to, if you're unsure about this stuff, if you're sort of hearing some of this for the first time, don't take my word for it. Study the Bible, read the Bible, get to know God. God says, if we seek him, we'll find him. And the good news is, you know, these are sort of dark and mysterious topics we may be talking about today. But the reality is, it's actually not something we need to dwell on a whole heap. It's not something we need to stress over or worry about, because God is stronger than any of these other forces. I believe that our God is is stronger than that. And, you know, Jesus, when He died and rose again, He overcame death and the grave, it says. And so, He's already won the victory. Essentially, we know the outcome. We're playing on the winning team. And so, we don't have to fear for the future because we already know that God's going to win ultimately the great controversy, the great conflict, the cosmic conflict. God is going to be the eventual winner of that. Even if some of the enemy are still running around trying to cause havoc or trying to injure the team before, before the final whistle, we know that this team wins. And so it's very easy. All you have to do is ask God to enter your heart and he will. And, and make sure you're getting to know him and get him to show you in his word what the promises are that he's made. You'll feel confident that he's with you, that he's close to you. And he, he really helps you face any challenge that life throws up or any deception of the enemy, any sort of issue. So it's it's not something to, to stress over or to be scared about, I suppose. It's something to, to rejoice in that we can say, hey, we know God. God's the most powerful being in the universe. And He is loving. His character has been proven. Yes, bad stuff happens to good people. Yes, the world is not fair. But God shows that He's willing to, to step down to our level to serve us and to love us. And that's the sort of God I want to know more about. That's the sort of God I want to know better.
0: Absolutely. What a comforting thought. And, you know, for me, when I see these things on TV, when I hear these stories, I've heard stories from the islands where people have seen a man become a wolf and these sort of supernatural phenomena that can't be explained. It just reminds me that there is a spiritual realm, but at the end of the day, that, you know, whilst there are evil, malevolent forces out there masquerading as people we, we might even love, that there is a God whose hand is over all of that and we can ask for him at any time. I guess it's at this point that I, I want to sort of direct our listeners to a chat that we're going to be having with someone who can testify to that far more than anybody else can. And her name is Kathy Hookham. If you're listening to this live on Faith FM on a Monday night, then you can hear it the the following week on Monday. However, if you're listening to this on a replay, or you're not sure where you can access that podcast, it's actually on our website at signsofthetimes.org.au slash podcast. And it's the number 155 there, which is Kathy Hookham. Indeed, Jared, your article, anybody who wants to access that, maybe they want to just read through it a bit more carefully. Where can we find your article?
1: So, that is also at signsofthetimes.org.au. The name of the article is Are Spiritual Forces Real? And it it just takes a bit of an in-depth look into what we've sort of talked about today, Daniel. But yeah, I really enjoyed reading Kathy's story in the August edition of Signs, and I'm looking forward to hearing her interview as well
0: awesome be sure to tune into that which it would be i guess a second part to this to this chat you know we've talked about the theory now let's hear from someone who has the experience with with that sort of stuff far more than most people have so be sure to tune into that one but in the meantime thank you so much jared for joining me today on the show we'll definitely get you on some point in the future
1: thanks a lot dan Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand.